Here at the Scholarships Podcast, we believe that exposure is everything. That's why we've created a series of bonus episodes that we're calling The Playbook. Now, The Playbook is essentially going to be a series of pre-recorded conversations with uh, talented individuals that have pursued different career paths. So to be clear, this is a subset of our normal podcast, um, but we're going to release these from time to time as bonus episodes. And in most cases, they'll be pre-recorded. Um, the hope is that if you're talking to somebody and they say, yeah, I wish I knew a lawyer or I wish I knew a photographer or I wish I knew a doctor, um, that you can say, hey, actually, scholarships, talk to, talk to a doctor they gave step-by-step instructions on how to become a doctor. I think you should check it out. Yeah. And as I said on the earlier episode, you know, growing up for me, I never met an attorney until I was a junior in college. I never met a black attorney until I was a senior in college. In that time, if I would have met someone earlier that looked just like me, that practiced law, who knows what my uh, career would have been. Yeah. So with that, let's roll the tape. Yeah, and today we're going to talk to Mary Shelton, who is a well-respected photographer in Chicago and Michigan area. Yeah, I'm excited for this one because Mary is a perfect example of someone that charted their own course. She could have easily you know, pursued a path that ultimately wouldn't have been fulfilling for her, but she's constantly pivoted in pursuit of passion and happiness. Yeah, she avoided the traditional route, the the family route. She chose something that she was truly passionate about that doesn't take much to start, but is so rewarding if you find your passion within it. Yeah, so let's get to it. Uh, Mary, uh, so tell me a bit about yourself. Uh, Like, how would you describe Mary Shelton Dent? Like, where'd you grow up? Where'd you attend school? Your yeah. Whatever you want. My favorite color. All the like my favorite date, long walks on the beach. That's like nice. the way to go. No. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, I grew up in the well, I did my early growing up in the suburbs of Chicago. Mm-hmm. And then um, after my parents had like divorced, we moved to the city. I went to Von Steuben Metropolitan Science Center. So I'm a product of CPS. Proud of it. And um, after that, I went to school at Valparaiso University, where I studied multimedia web design, and I played four years of Division One volleyball. So yeah, Mary Shelton Dent. That's pretty much it in a nutshell. So, so was volleyball something that you were always interested in, or you just got in? You got into it later in life. I guess. How would you describe your journey? Well, looking back on it now, I think it was something that I was just naturally good at. Um, and just like athletically gifted in that. And because I was athletically gifted, it was something that came easy. It was definitely something that was attractive. Mm -hmm. I just had a lot of coaches that like pushed me in the direction of that. And I mean, I don't regret one bit of it. It was, it's some of the best memories I have. I mean, I still coach high school volleyball now, so I'm still very involved in it. Uh, but it's, it's a really fun sport that definitely gets overlooked by a lot of people. Um, especially in like high school and stuff like that. Like everybody, especially with girls, everyone's like super pro basketball, but volleyball is definitely a vibe for sure. Yeah. Let's, let's step back. Let's step back. How was uh, growing up in, in Chicago? How was it for you? Um, you know, I had two very different experiences in growing up. So yeah. when we grew up in the suburbs, it was a very different environment than growing up in the city, but both of those experiences, I wouldn't trade for the world. So growing up in the suburbs, I mean, I went from being like the only black kid in class to being like being in the majority when we moved to the city. So it was like Mm -hmm. two completely different experiences. So I almost went through culture shock 
um, when we moved. But uh, I love living in the city. I miss it all the time. You know, um, just it's there's always something to do, places to go, and things like that. And then in high school, like being in high school in the city, you grow up really, really fast because you're around so many different people from different wavelengths of life and just getting around by yourself like kids just riding the train at, in like sixth grade by themselves and having like a 40 minute commute by themselves every single day mm-hmm. um is the norm so there's just a lot of growing up that happens in the city uh and it was definitely necessary for, for me and it worked out well for me for sure so so what was the i guess the first day like when you go from uh, I guess the only <laughs> black kid in uh in your high school or your middle school to you know predominantly you know, black people or diverse people in an in, in, in environment. What was that that first day like? Was it culture shock or what, what was it like? It was different. I mean, is the best way I can describe it. And especially when uh, with uh, middle school and then high school I went to, we went to a lottery high school. Mm-hmm. So they take, they purposely take kids from different parts of the city. They're not, they don't take any neighborhood kids. Um, so you just, you're around just so many different people that you just, it's almost like you didn't know this world existed and then all of a sudden you're dropped into it and you get to just see the beauty of different people and the way that everybody lives their lives is super different. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like the first day I was just like, whole, like, holy crap, like this is a whole new situation and I need to like check myself and find my people and like realize the world is a completely different place. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was awesome. Because I wouldn't be the person I am now if I didn't experience that. Nice. And then, and then I guess you you continued volleyball throughout high school. Um, I actually like, didn't start volleyball until I was a freshman in high school. A lot of people don't mm, know that. I, so I, I only I knew, that. knew I and I did not really start volleyball until I was a freshman in high school. So mm. yeah, so that was just a four year chunk of just grow as fast as you can. So, yeah. so I, I mean, you became a stellar athlete at uh, Von Steuben, uh, mm-hmm. and then you decided to go to college. What was that? What was that process like? The was there any recruiting or recruiting going on, or what? What was that like? Uh, recruiting is, yeah. There's a lot of recruiting. Um, there's a lot of recruiting rec- recruiting going on. I mean, it's really, really stressful too. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, the recruiting process starts young. It starts when you're like a sophomore. Um, like a sophomore in high school and you just start creating your lists and really honing in on your craft as much as you possibly can. And like going to these tournaments where there's like hundreds upon hundreds of courts there and coaches just coming and standing on your court. So you want to put on a show while they're, while they're there. And then the deadline comes where they can start reaching out to you and you're just getting, well, now it's crazy because kids are now getting text messages from coaches. Like for me, it was only emails and phone calls. Like I couldn't mm-hmm. imagine getting a text message from a coach that would freak me out. But um, just constantly getting phone calls and emails and talking to different people and worrying about all these different aspects and then going on visits and going on camps. It's just an, it's just an ongoing thing. Um, and just being stressed out as to whether you're making the right decision for yourself of where you're going to spend four years of your life. I mean, to think that a 16 year old has to know that they're going to be happy making a decision um, of where they're going to be at 21. Mm-hmm. That's wild. Cause you're two completely different people at 18 to 16 or 18 to 19. So at 16 years old to decide what you're going to do with four years of your life is a super, 
crazy and scary situation. Yeah, you know, so actually in college, I was a manager for the Marquette men's basketball team. And really in that role, I had a chance to see just how hard it is to be a division one athlete and also go to class and, and yeah. things like that. Like, like those athletes were waking up at 5 a.m. And, and doing their first practice and then they had to go to class and then study hall and then yep. uh, things like that. Was that also your sort of uh, situation? Yes. And um, Belpo was very, very strict with with academics. I mean, uh, the volleyball team won the AFCA uh, academic award. It was probably it's probably for like 12 years running. So I don't want to be the person that messes that up. <laughs> so, I mean, a day to day uh, during season, because what people also don't realize is once the season's over, I don't go on a hiatus. The season is constant and continues all throughout the year. Uh, so during the fall season, it would be early morning lifts. So it could be, depending on your practice schedule, you could either be the 6 a.m. or the like noon. But for me, I wanted to get all my classes done as early as possible to have practice after. So I would do the 6 a.m. lift. And after 6 a.m. lift, I would have class until chapel break because there was no classes at Valpo from 11 to like 11.45. And then right after that, still be in class. Uh, if coach wanted me there for individuals before practice, then I would have to get there around 2.30, 1 o'clock, depending on whether I had classes that day. Have individuals for an hour and a half to an hour 45. By the time I was done with that, practice started. Practice would go anywhere from two and a half to three hours. After that, I would go out. By that time, it was maybe like 6.30 and I would go eat after eat and you have to like eat well too so after that I would go eat and then have study tables unless I had a night class so if I had a night class and I'd be in class from seven to nine so but there were times where I was really just I sprinted through the union grabbed food and kept sprinting to the other side to get to class um, so so basically yeah. 6 a.m to 9 p.m 6 a.m to yeah yeah 6 a.m to no no 6 a.m to 9 p.m. and there's no Taco Bell, Pizza Hut, nothing in the mix for comfort. <laughs> no, no. And I went dry during season. So like that was just like there was no fun. Like I was just basically just robotic. And then during the spring, there's a spring season that goes from when we come back from winter break until spring break. And we're still playing games. They're just exhibition games. Mm. But with those days, like now we're in like the conditioning aspect. So I'm lifting, there's running conditioning, there's two a day practices, and I still have class. So I think spring was actually always worse than season. Um, just because the strain on your body was crazy, but then also men's basketball is practicing. So we only have one gym facility. Mm -hmm. So I used to always get mad because my husband, he played basketball at Valpo as well. So he, he would get done at practice at six, then women's would come into the gym as well. And then we wouldn't be able to get into the gym sometimes until 10 o'clock. So I was practicing from like 10 to midnight and like going to bed and waking up and having class the next day. Or if I had 6am lift or 7am lift after we had like the late open gym it was just like it yeah I kind of like it blanked out about a bunch of it to be honest so did your you know obviously the rigor of being a division one athlete did that mm -hmm. impact the major that you chose because I know some of the guys on the team would say 
I would love to be a, a business major, but it just, it conflicts with my schedule. So that's why I'm in comm. Like, did you experience that as well? Or, or, or did you no. know that you wanted to do multimedia? Okay. Um, no, honestly, but it's because the team itself, I think half the girls on the team were nursing majors and mm. are registered nurses now. And uh, we, I mean, it was always academics first with my coach. I mean, she, she understood our schedule. She asked us for our schedules and asked us, to, especially the, nur- the nursing majors, their schedule is kind of set and can't change. The mm-hmm. rest of us can kind of pick and choose with what we're doing. And that always came first and we scheduled after that. So mm. the, we have, I mean, one girl on my team, she went, I think I have two girls on my team who went pre-med. So in my program, not necessarily, okay. uh, but I definitely can see um, some programs having that issue. I, it just kind of depends on the coach that you have. And that's one thing that I tell a lot of my girls that I coach now is to make sure to talk to them about Mm -hmm. majors and stuff like that, because if they're not accepting of it, then that's not the school for you. But yeah. Oh, that makes sense. So then, but then how did you land on a major? Well, so I knew I wanted to be a comm major because in my heart of hearts, I thought I was going to be the next stage steal. And then I realized how bad, how vain I would have to be in order to do that job. And I couldn't handle it. Not bad. Um, No. And I think I would have made a good one. I really do like sports um, and talking about sports and just, interested in the athlete psyche and stuff Mm -hmm. um so that's why i first joined the comm department was for that and i realized quite after that that i was really into the arts and so multimedia web design kind of just flowed right into it and where the world was at at that time i feel really old saying that but where the world was at at that time graphic design was on its way up Mm -hmm. and so i thought it was just a good choice and avenue for me so can we get, I guess, more granular with your degree and, and what that actually means uh, as it translates to what you're doing currently? Yeah. Um, so being a multimedia web design uh, major was really just focusing a lot in, um, we actually did focus a lot in public relations and marketing because you needed to have a background and understanding in that into like why you choose certain colors, what those colors bring to certain emotions to different people. Um, but also do a little in that same major I took video courses I took uh, a lot of film courses as well and um, just learning how to code set up websites for people as well as just designing from a blank canvas to what people see on the internet or on social media in regards to what it does for me now, I mean, I'm really, it, it's definitely helped with me and my photography business for sure. Um, but the nice thing, but it, it, it was just a lot of self-learning to get to where I'm at now, for sure. So, so could you just debunk the, uh, I guess, collegiate theory that comm majors are the easy majors? Because I think a that lot is... of times they get, the, they get the short end of the stick as if it's not the one thing one thing that is consistent throughout every profession is communication, right? The best example I have is I had to take a public speaking course. Mm. And there are some people who would rather vomit than publicly speak. Mm -hmm. And people don't understand that there is an art to public speaking to make people understand what you're saying and want to do what you're doing and present yourself in a certain way. And if you can't do that, that's really not going to help you. Um, so people who poop on comm majors, they just suck because it is hard 
to present yeah. in front of people. I want to watch you make a 10 minute feature film on what does love be? That was what my, I had, that is like a class. I had to, I went to an old folks home, interviewed people, went to a boys and girls club, interviewed children and had <laughs> to interview a bunch of people on what their definition of love was as a documentary. And it had to be a 10 minute documentary for class. Yeah, um, shout out, shout out, shout out to the comm majors. Yeah, the comm majors. such a bad rap. I know people are like, oh, it's such an easy major. I said, I wish you would come on in. Yeah. So, you know, post-college, um, I, I know you went through a series of different careers and jobs and things like that. So uh, for the listeners, could you just describe how you landed on photography? Yeah. Um, so when I graduate from college, people think that like instantly you're successful after and that's not how it works. Uh, so I, I've worked in a bunch of different situations. I worked behind the front desk at a hotel. I worked at a call center. I worked in the guest services. I worked in retail. Um, I was a strength and conditioning coach at a high school. I was a substitute teacher. <laughs> I then became a uh, CrossFit trainer and tried to train so that I could go to the CrossFit games, which was, an, that was like an out of body experience. I mean, anybody who knew me in that time frame, like I was not a fun person to be around. I was a very strict individual. And uh, then I got pregnant with my son and I couldn't work out while I was pregnant because I got so sick. If my heart rate went over 130 beats per minute, instant, like, the whole body shut down. So I had to take a break from CrossFit and left there. And I just, I had my son and I was home with him until he was a year old and I got stir crazy. And, but during that time of being home with him, it was awesome because I learned so much about myself and my husband actually bought me a camera as a wedding present. And I, took it on trips, had a lot of fun with it and started taking pictures of our son and different family vacations we were going on as he was younger. And people started asking me if I would take pictures for different things. So I started, I, I was even taking real estate photography for a little bit for one of my real estate friends. And I had a friend who had a family and they wanted me to take pictures of them. It then turned into people in town, asked me to take senior pictures and it just grew and grew and grew and grew. To the point where I was like, okay, I got to legitimize this. How am I going to legitimize this and go through all the steps of that? And I fell in love with it, honestly. And I look back on it now, like, why did I fall in love with it? Or is this something that I was in love with forever? And I realized it's something that has always been in the back of my head for a really, really long time. If you, if anybody who friends me on Facebook, if you look at my albums on Facebook, it is asinine how many albums I have. I was taking pictures of me and my friends going to the ice cream shop in our, in my basement at my parents' house at every single volleyball game with like a digital camera. And I didn't think anything of it. I just liked capturing things and holding on to memories and things like that. Or if you go to my grandma's house, she collects every photo you possibly think of. Like I've got photos of my great-grandparents, great-great-grandparents. And it's like those really, really cool zombie film photos where like the eyes are super icy, which is super cool. And something I've been working on trying to figure out. Um, but with all that, I didn't realize I, it was something that I loved so much until I finally found it and did it. But it just took a long time for me to get there. <laughs> Yeah. So, so what areas did you start looking at to kind of 
you know, form and, and create your own niche in this photography room? Like, where, where did you start? Um, I started with my son because he's really flipping cute. And that was easy. Uh, and then after that, it was just really focusing on like my own personal family and just capturing my family as much as possible. And just honestly taking five to 10 minutes for myself to shoot. And it just slowly snowballed into other things. Like then I was playing around with product photography. I was playing around with headshots. And it was just, it was a bunch of trial and error. And it was cool because it was not, photography is, can't be something that you suck at because your eyes are your eyes. You can't tell somebody else that their eyes suck because we all just, the way we see the world, I can't say the way that you see the world and the way I see the world, one's right, one's wrong. It's your life experiences is what's created that. And I think, especially from sports where there's a right and a wrong and a winner and a loser, that it was super helpful for me to just have this one medium where I can't win or lose. It's just, I'm out there. I think there's way more parallels between photography and the law than you think. Cause you just, you just named, multiple categories in which you can go and be a photographer, right? You said product, mm-hmm. there's a product placement, um, yeah. real estate photography, you got sports photographers. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about the different opportunities that exist within photography? Yeah, no, it's definitely a parallel because you can do, you can be corporate, you can do mergers, acquisitions, you can do real estate, you can mm-hmm. do um, patent. Like there's just so many different uh, things with that. And with photography, there's, there's branding, there's headshots, there's products, there's editorial, there's weddings, there's, you can strictly just shoot newborns or just mm-hmm. shoot families or just shoot mater- maternity or just shoot seniors. Seniors, senior photography is a market that not a lot of people hit. I've never even heard of that. Yeah. Yo, it is the, <laughs> for, for me, I love it. Like I am obsessed and it's, it's more so just, it's not just being obsessed with senior photography. I'm obsessed with Gen Z. I like love them. I mm-hmm. think that they are like the most amazing people on the planet and it's overlooked so much. It's like, they don't care about anything, but them living to their best self and exactly who they want to be. And it's super annoying listening to adults talk about them because the only reason they feel negative about them is because they're jealous. Like they're jealous that instead of going to college or doing these other things, they're experiencing life first and then coming back, taking those life experiences and putting that into a job Mm -hmm. or for them, their nine to five is their life and their five to nine that's work, Mm -hmm. you know, like they're full-time on their life, part-time on their job because that's what they're fueling. So Gen Z gets a bad rap. Senior photography isn't pushed hard enough, but that I'm off that soapbox. I can be on that soapbox for days, but (laughs) Yeah, there's so many different types of photography that you can get into for sure. Do you know when you said uh, senior photography at first? I thought you were talking about senior, senior citizens. citizens. <laughs> I thought the same thing. I yeah, swear I, to God. I was like, I damn, she, she hitting licks on a nursing home. Yeah, I no, thought I'm going to nursing home. this whole I, time I, really, I was thinking that. I was thinking yo, that the whole time. I was like, yo, yeah. she goes in the nursing home. No, t- until you said Gen Z. That's when I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. High school okay, kids. I'm talking about that. Yeah. No, Gen before Z that, day. I was like, how does that work? Hey, I, I would, Honestly, I would, it would say be super cute. It would be super yeah, cute if I just citizens. went to nursing homes. Yeah, senior citizens probably. Senior citizens probably. That's probably a, a little market no one's <laughs> tapped in either. Maybe I need it. to go. I need to go to. I need to go to the Lutheran home that's near my house, and I need to just go in there and be like, I just want to shoot 
seniors. Yo, That's great. Yo, scholarships podcast. We might start a, <laughs> uh, a senior citizen, you know, photography situation. That's what's up. I'm we're, totally we're, down. Hey, with this that. is our niche. So niche. So don't trademark don't start. that. So like when you're starting your business and you're trying to, I guess, find your niche and you're finding your clients, I guess, how do you find a price point? How do you, are there resources that you leaned on, people that you looked up to? Like, I guess, walk us through that process. Well, instead of, so I, I did have a lot of resources in regards to learning photography and like learning just the bare bone things that every photographer needs to know. And there's so many, I could list, um, online resources for days like Don Charles. She has an amazing online resource and it's like a monthly course. Caitlin James also has like a monthly course there too. I've done mentorships uh, with multiple different photographers, but when it comes to pricing um, and me not being a business major in college and me having to like figure all this out, it was just me strictly thinking of my cost of doing business and how much I want to make at the end of the year and working backwards. So you, and based on where you live in the world too, um, kind of takes uh, a say in how much you charge in certain situations. Uh, but just figuring out what your cost of doing business is and how much you want to make at the end of the year, and then figure out how many sessions you would have to do or how many weddings you would have to do or other little odd and even things, and then work that way versus saying like, this is what I'm charging like base it on yourself. You don't have to base it on the rest of the world because it's your life. You don't have to compare your life to somebody else's. So, I mean, how long have you been doing this? And and I guess I want to just hear one moment when you realize like, I'm actually really fucking good at this. <laughs> I guess when was that moment? I, okay. So I started, mind you, I started my business five months before the pandemic hit. So it was a wild time to be alive. Not um, a lot of pictures are being taken unless it's no. from a distance. Okay, but <laughs> but the thing is, is I'm crafty, and this is and this is why it's perfect to your other question. Is this is when I realized I was really good at this. So I really love senior photography, as I've gone on my soapbox about it, and the pandemic hit, and so we're all like in our homes. These poor seniors, literally lost all of senior year, have no prom, graduation's a drive-through. It's like a McDonald's, Taco Bell drive-through type of situation of a graduation. Everybody's sad. And I got on Pinterest and I was just like brainstorming like because I was like, man, I just kickstarted my business and the whole world shut down. Like how many, what am I going to do? And I, I like also know that I had booked weddings going into the pandemic too. So I started my business at five months. I had booked like two weddings for that first year and literally COVID hit. And I'm just like, what do I do? I have no idea. Nobody's ever experienced this before. Thank God my mom's an attorney and like did all my contracts because otherwise I would have died. But <laughs> So I, um, so I was on Pinterest. I was like, what can I do for seniors right now who just feel like their life sucks? And so I did a $60, which is not what I charge now, a $60 20-minute mini session with everyone's cap and gowns and just did like these super fun cap and gown sessions with seniors going into graduation. And it was so much fun. I had so many people that continued to ask me to do it. And I was just like, wow, like people are super into this. They like my photos. This is fun. And then I reached out to the, my high school and I knew they were doing drive-through graduation. 
And so I actually shot graduation while cars were driving through and people who know my personality, like when I'm having fun, I'm like having a good time. I'm not quiet. I'm very boisterous. And so I was just like, you know what, like, let's just make this another fun experience. I had a speaker, like a a JBL speaker clipped to my jeans. I was like blasting music. I was having kids (laughs) get out of their cars with their families. Like they're parked on this road. I have like the whole family getting out of the car. I was like, that's it. Everybody get out. We're doing family pictures right now. And just kind of rolling through that. And that base kept me going through COVID and definitely got my business rolling. And when I did those little things, I realized like, dang, I'm really, really good at this. I can handle this. I'm, I, I have what it takes to be successful because I mean, for me, my main saying all the time is if you're going to do it, just do it. I mean, don't have to do it. Just jump in, get fully wet. Who cares? If you fail, who cares? Like nobody else knows that you failed, but you Mm -hmm. and just, and just go for it. So yeah, that's kind of how I got started. Being that we're all diverse uh, professionals, why do you think there's such a lack of diversity in photography? And I guess, how do you think uh, we as a society can fix it? I, and this is something I'm very open to talking to. I was just unpacking that with my therapist the other day. (laughs) And uh, I was like, one big thing in that subject, and I might be taking your question somewhere else. So let me know. But the way that we we choose to present ourselves is something that's a very difficult thing to do. I mean, when you go online, I guess, when people think professional, like, and as a person of color, the way you have to, you have to carry yourself as a professional, it kind of doesn't feel like you. And so you spend how many hours of your job every week being somebody that's not authentically you. And then you're wondering why all of a sudden you're going through this like identity crisis. (laughs) And it's because you spend the majority of your life not being yourself. Uh, So that's one thing that I find is really, really difficult in the social media space with photography, because obviously if someone's spending that much money, they want to make sure that this person's legitimate. But I, I think it's a cultural thing. I don't know that, I don't know if this is something I'm putting on myself or it's just something that's a part of the world. That's an issue. It's probably both that I feel like I have to present myself in a certain way, whether it's blow dried hair at every single wedding and wearing a certain outfit to every single wedding in order for people around me to feel comfortable. Um, So that's one thing that's very, very difficult in this space. And social media has definitely made that worse. Um, But when it comes to diversity, when it comes to photographers, there's so many amazing diverse photographers out there. Um, But I guess people assume and this is a societal issue that the luxury space isn't meant for them. Mm. And speak on it, speak on that. What do you speak mean on that? that? I mean, I being a person who grew up in a very affluent situation and I spent a lot of time of my life seeing black people with money um, and living these beautiful lives or beautiful eyes to lives to the beholder, because I don't want to money doesn't, make people happy that's that's definitely not what I'm trying to portray but like see I saw a lot of that so I know it exists but um in that luxury space sometimes like that's not seen enough 
one thing especially that I'm bitter about is a lot of these like inspiration apps and not to call people out, but like on Pinterest, if I'm searching out like wedding inspo, it's always going to be this blonde haired, blue eyed European looking girl. Like I have to actually type in black bride inspiration in order to see photos. But when I see those photos, they might not necessarily be in my aesthetic or like things that I gravitate towards. So just the, the realm of that is very, very difficult to navigate. So just the whole realm, just in, in all of it, there's just a lot of issues in it. It's, I can unpack all those issues for days, but for me, those, the two main issues that I would say bother me the most is the opportunity for black creators in that luxury space is a very difficult situation to get into based on the fact that people make these assumptions that people have to be a certain way in order to shoot in that space. And then, but then when you look at the product that's made, there's beautiful work made by black creators with black, like with black models or Latino models or Asian American models that are made all the time. But those those photos aren't the things that are pushed on the apps. Um, so you kind of feel like you have to be a certain person and take certain photos of certain people in order to be successful. So then you're going, again, you go back to that identity crisis that you have. That was good. Fire, bro. That was fire. What kind of education do you need to be a photographer? Uh, well, you can have a degree in YouTube. That's totally plausible <laughs> in order for it to work for you. Um, but I would say it's, it, I, I would say it depends on what space you're working in. If you're working in weddings, you need a lot of time under your belt, assisting other people and second shooting for other people and just being in the space a lot. And you need the equipment that can handle it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the one thing that I see with a lot of photographers is that they're shooting weddings with only one card slot on their camera. And that's a terrifying thing because you can't read, I can give someone another session for a family session. You're like, Hey, my card got corrupted. Let me go ahead and just like give you another session. That's fine. You can't give someone another wedding and, and the amount of money that you spend on a wedding. No, but like, that's not, no, that's like an absolute no. So it's just making sure that you have the equipment that can handle the space in which you're in. And then also just knowing uh, that you've done the work to feel comfortable doing something by yourself is kind of what I see educationally wise. Yeah. So if you could step back, uh, one thing I heard you say is like second shooting and like cartridges and things like that. <laughs> could you just explain like what what that means assisting someone in a wedding what yeah. that's like and and just having a cartridge like what are you what are you explaining like what are you yeah at? so second shooting is just being uh the second photographer at a wedding or some photographers depending on where they are in their business they need a third um i still am a third all the time like i don't i feel like learning never ends because you you learn something new every single wedding because every couple's different and every situation's different Um, but second shooting is a really, really good way to learn just how a wedding day goes and what the flow is going to be and, uh, getting, and just being put in situations where like lighting might not be perfect or timelines aren't going well. And like people are running late because you never want to experience that for the first time by yourself. At least I personally wouldn't want to deal with that. And then with cards, it's like, so your camera has 
like your camera, when you take photos, it saves onto a card the same way, like your, um, you save things onto hard drives, right? Mm -hmm. So every click of the camera, the photo's going onto a card. Well, to trust one card to literally do all of the work is, is not a good, is not a good idea. So you always want to back up. So whenever I'm shooting a wedding, I'm shooting on two cards so that each click is, is reading onto two cards so that if one card gets messed up, the backup is always there. And the same thing with that is you don't, you don't want to shoot a wedding on just one camera. You always want a backup camera in your bag too, because if the one camera goes bad, then you have a backup. So I'm not a big gearhead. I'm a very minimal shooter. I have most of everything I shoot within a wedding I can carry in a small messenger bag. Um, but I do have like a backup bag. And I, I think in order to shoot weddings or events of that nature, a backup bag is necessary. So there is some, there's a lot of investment that goes into photography. I mean, people don't realize the money that you put in, it's your equipment. So it's two cameras, multiple different lenses. Cards are not expensive, are, are I'm sorry, not, not expensive. They're very expensive. Like an XQD card that would run a wedding on it can cost anywhere from like 180 to $256. And you run through one XQD card for each wedding. So think about it. That's 15 weddings, 15 XQD cards money-wise. Um, and then you have to insure all your equipment. You have to insure your business. You have to uh, pay for backup equipment. I mean, so it is an expensive thing to get into weddings, which is why a lot of people get into more like families newborn sessions and stuff first. And then they take that money invested into their business so that they can shoot weddings after. So, so boom, uh, Mary has met someone that's super interested in photography. He or she is thrilled and excited. Um, I guess what would be the, I guess the initial costs and, in, in, in um, the things that you would advise that they do today, if they wanted to get their business started? Um, I think if you've, if you know that you want it to be a business, you have to make it official. Um, like get your LLC. Don't play games with that. Um, Shout out LLC your... Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like you get your LLC, get your um, insurance taken care of. Those are things that you just don't want to play with. And um, initial investment outside of that, I would say the nice thing is, is a lot of photographers don't have websites anymore, which, or like a lot of beginner photographers don't have websites. So if you want to invest more into like your equipment and wait for a website, that's fine. Um, but I would say the first things I would do is just make sure I have a solid full frame camera. And because I know you might ask a full frame camera is the inside of the camera. You can either have like it's just basically the way that the camera reads, it's either like half or full. And mm. if you're shooting professionally, you want to shoot on a full frame camera. Um, a solid lens. Um, I think the first lens that everybody should get when they're first starting out is, it's in the photography world, it's known as like a nifty 50, um, a 50 millimeter lens. Um, and it's really, in, it's one of the most inexpensive lenses, but they're really, really beautiful. And it's a solid thing to start with. You can shoot a lot on it. And after you have those two things, kind of just play around and figure out what medium you want to shoot in. Uh, everybody has friends and families and friends that have girlfriends or boyfriends or whatever. So 
just get out there and just start shooting your friends. Um, I know like my first couple shoots was literally just my friends in my backyard. I mean, I still shoot in my backyard now, but just friends in the backyard and take and working on editing and taking care of those. So that's what I think that would be like my first, that'd be my starter kit for sure. Are you loyal to any, any brands like Sony versus Canon versus Nikon? I'm a loyal Nikon girl to a T. I started on Nikon, the white Nikon white balance, which to you mean nothing. It's to me, it's chef's kiss all the time. I mean, it's always perfect. (laughs) (laughs) It's, It's Nikon all the way, but this is my hot take is I actually think the off-brand lenses do just as well as the name brand ones. So Nikon, I could buy a bunch of Nikon lenses, but they're also really, really expensive. So instead I shoot on Sigma lenses and Mm. they are way less than Nikon, but they do amazing work for me. So I was on your Instagram and I saw that you put intimate wedding uh, photographer, right? And Mm -hmm. how important is your brand on social media when, when thinking about, you know, getting booked or, or showing what you can do? How important is that? That's a great question. Um, so, and, um, so for me, when it comes to me and my brand, I really, really like becoming close with my couples and family. So in an intimate setting as much as possible. So I always tell people, and it's a piece of advice I actually got from another photographer is like pick three words for your business that you would describe the kind of work you want to do. And so for me, it would be um, intimate, timeless, and editorial work. So that's the way that I describe my business. And because I do that, the people that come to me gravitate towards that same deal. So that, that, that was one of the best pieces of advice I've ever gotten from a photographer was pick my, pick the three words I would want people to describe my work as, and then create a brand around those three words. So obviously like, um, we always talk about barriers to entry and things like that. And from the outside looking in, it doesn't seem like there's a huge barrier to entry in photography. And so to me, that creates a lot of competition. And I'm wondering how exactly do you do you set yourself apart within the industry? And do you have any advice to young photographers that are coming up? Um, yeah, uh, I think it's just, it's kind of the same way that people say things about influencers, like it's a oversaturated market. So like, how do you find your way in? And there's enough people in this world for everybody to eat. Like there's enough price ranges that everybody has their opportunity. So it's kind of just you realizing who you want to be in the industry and again like I say just like do it full force and push into it um but yeah you know like photography kind of like how I said before like with photography your everybody's eyes are different like I can't tell you that your eyes are wrong but I can say that the way that I see things might be more visually appealing than the way some way somebody else does but like also who am I to say that more visually appealing is better than another so I get the thought that you want a certain set of like val you want a certain set of like validation to show like she's legitimate and the way that you show that you're legitimate in the space is based on your client experience and the way that you treat your clients Mm -hmm. the way that you carry yourself um as a professional 
and kind of, and the way you present yourself, you know? Um, so it's like those things are the way you present yourself on social media too, as well. So I think mm-hmm. the combination of that is kind of what gives you that validation where people are like, okay, she's legit. She's not just messing around with this. Like she's taking it very seriously. She takes herself very seriously and she takes her, her work is very important to her, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So as what you're saying is beauty is in the eye of the photographer. Beholder. Yeah. The photographer, the <laughs> beholder. Yeah. yeah. And, yes. honest, and that's what I love about working is I, the one thing I love about photography in general is people are super down on themselves as individual and I get to show people how beautiful they are. So that's fun. So yeah, yeah the beauty is in the eye of the photographer for sure. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we have a, a set of like three or four questions uh, mm-hmm. that we like to go ask every person. Um, so first of our rapid questions is, uh, you know, what's your personal mantra? If you're going to do it, then just freaking do it. Favorite camera? Nikon. My Nikon Z62 is my mirrorless baby. Favorite place to shoot? I'm a girl who likes the beach, but I also like a city. So I go back and forth between the two. Throw me in downtown, but also take me to a beach and take me somewhere tropical. Photo shoots early in the morning or late at night? Ooh, late at night. So you can get golden hour and blue hour. Blue hour is a moment that is missed a ton. And it is so dope. So the question I've been thinking about, and I think most of our listeners have been thinking about, is give us a range on how much money you can make (laughs) being a photographer the best thing i can say is you can make six figures and up being a photographer for sure i know my wedding uh he got me for like <laughs> and we're talking like, annually. Yeah, yeah, yeah oh and you, like a year yeah yeah uh, annually. you can make okay. you can make you can make you can make six figures a year after oh. after uncle sam clears out your pockets for sure pay uncle sam don't pay don't uncle be, nah pay don't uncle be wesley Sam. snipes nah. don't be west nah, nah. don't be west no, don't go down no, no, no i just paid my quarterlies and what they are uncle sam ain't getting me for sure yeah so are there any resources that um you would recommend to young photographers yeah uh so for me uh some resources i use is rise photo academy that's by don charles it's a monthly subscription so each month she drops maybe like five or six videos, everything from the business side to the actual capturing side and then the editing and delivery. Uh, So she's got a lot of resources on there. Caitlin James has the second shooters course for a lot of people who are interested in weddings and kind of want to know what that space is like. Uh, Again, it's a monthly subscription and she actually has somebody there who's videoing her working a wedding. And she's talking through these different scenarios and things that have popped up and walks you through how you can uh, essentially correct those situations or what she would do in certain situations, but you're watching it. So that's super cool. Um, Making sure you're going to workshops. Photographers have workshops all the time. Uh, I recently went to the Nikki Marie workshop and Nikki is amazing. And she's one of my um, mentors as well. And you go and you sit with them and you're able to ask questions. And there's usually a shoot there. You can ask them questions while you're shooting as to why they decided that they were going to take certain angles. Um, And then YouTube is a great source. I mean, that's the OG of 
that I mean, YouTube raised me. I just I went to college and learned YouTube University. Yeah. Okay. Yo, YouTube University is legit. I might have gotten my degree at Valpo, but I am I have my MBA and my doctorate at YouTube for sure. <laughs> <laughs> where can where can people find you? Um, you can find me basically on any social media network. So you can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Instagram. I love to TikTok. So I'm on TikTok all the time. Um, and that's at Mary Shelton media on Instagram and at Mary Shelton on TikTok. Um, the apparel drop is on its way in and that Instagram page just launched and it's at luxury Lake club on Instagram. So we're excited about all things exclusive exclusive (laughs) (laughs) no but i think it's oh my gosh i think i think i'm glad you came on because it kind of gives a different sense that you know we're not pushing everyone to be lawyers we're just trying to provide light and and some sense of uh awareness of what you can do out here so i really appreciate you coming mary it's been great um loved everything about it so always fire thank you for taking the time boss Yes, for sure. You and Larry are some of my A1 people. So I'm super happy to hop on the podcast with you guys. Peace. Peace.